I'll have what she's having. I love relationships. I love romantic comedies. I love love. We don't know what Cinderella looked like because she's not real. Yes, they freaking got it. Really earn that happily ever after at the end. Change the writing. It's not that hard. Hello, all you hopeful romantics, and welcome to another episode of What She's Having, presented by Meet Cute, where a glass of rosé is not required, but is certainly encouraged. I'm your host, Ashley Eskew, and my guest today is the New York Times number one best-selling author of Pretty Little Liars which inspired, I don't even have to tell you, the hit television series and our communal obsession with the identity of A. She's also the author of The Lion Game, which turned into another hit television show, and of the upcoming cruise ship for Meet Cute, with first episodes dropping on July 6th. So it is my honor to present the woman that is brilliant like Spencer, stylish like Hannah, kind-hearted like Emily, and creative like Aria. The brilliant author, writer, and woman, my favorite liar of them all, Sarah Shepard. Hi. I am so excited to meet you and have you here today. I feel like you have conquered every writer's dream. You created this world and these characters in a novel and then sold it and the show became a national phenomena. I'm so (laughs) curious, was this always your dream? I knew I was going to write just even for myself. And I knew I would always have like creative projects, but I, again, for myself, but I, but I never knew that like I would write a whole bunch of novels and there was going to be a TV show or anything like that. No. (laughs) Well, then I'm curious, where did the writing journey for you start from? Oh, my gosh. Like, it's very interesting. So I I initially went to school to be a biology major, which is interesting. I was I just thought I would go to medical school or work in genetics or something like that. Oh, that easy profession of genetics. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. So then I my first year of college, I had I had this English class that I loved and my English professor was like, you should major in English. And I was like, uh, but I was going to do this other thing. And I, and I just kind of thought about it for a while and, and then decided to kind of go down the English path. And my parents were sort of like, why are you doing that? That's like, what's that going to lead to? Are they not creatives? Yeah. I mean, they are, but like, you know, when you hear your daughter's going to go into science, like that feels like a pretty solid, like career path yeah (laughs) and you know I'm gonna be an English major and I'm gonna write and and I'm gonna read books all day and um so let's see when I got out of college I I worked in publishing but it was it was kind of like advertising I would write magazines for companies like like Target had a magazine where basically we would push like products like Ford had a magazine and I would write and assign articles about cars like you know and like let's talk about the details of how beautiful this car is it was like an advertisement And I remember around that time, my sister, who also is creative, was working at this uh, book packager. At the time, they were called 17th Street Productions. Now they're Alloy Entertainment. And she said, you know, I was complaining because I was like, I just, we lived in New York City. I was like, I need money. Like, I just, this (laughs) job doesn't pay enough. I need like a freelance job. And she's like, you realize the company that I work for, they assign projects to ghostwriters. Like, you can write a novel 
not under your name, not your idea, but you'll get a little bit of money for it. And I was like, wait, I would get to write stories and be paid for it. So I was like, this is my ideal job. So I bothered these people to give me a shot. I like crashed their Christmas party. Now my sister was an intern. Like technically I came as her guest, but like interns weren't actually allowed to go to this party. So I went to the party. I met the people that I needed to sort of meet to assign me any projects. And, you know, I was like, you should please, please, please hire me. So I just wore them down, I think. So I wrote some, some sample chapters. I think my sample chapter was like a, about a family who could time travel. And I was really into it. It was way more interesting than the other work I was doing. And I wrote it for them. And they were like, oh, this is really good, actually. They were like, the person that, they were like the person that crashed the Christmas party? Like, okay. So they did assign me some a ghostwriting project. It was about a... Um, a girl who lived in LA and she was like a secretly from a samurai, a family of samurai warriors, which I was like, I don't know anything about that, but whatever, I'll do it. It was a great first project. I learned how to write a book from start to finish. I learned how to be edited. I learned how to work on a deadline. Like it was amazing. And I got paid like a very, very small amount, but like anything helped at this point. So from there, I probably was a ghostwriter on like a whole bunch of books. I mean, maybe like eight books. And most of them were either young adult fiction or middle grade, which is more like second to fifth grade of a reader. And they were all kinds of topics. Like some of them were mysteries. Some of them were this adventure series about the samurai warrior. Um, one was like a ghost story. Like it was, it was all over the place. But I really learned a lot. And sort of at the end of the last book I was working on, the people that I worked for at this company, now Alloy Entertainment, they're called. And you might know Alloy Entertainment because they also did like Gossip Girl and they've, they've done many, many book series that are popular right now. They came to me and they were like, do you want to develop your own idea? And I was like, wait, for a book, really? And they said, yeah. So I started to think about what I, what I liked and I love YA in the gossip girl vein, but I also really loved mysteries. And I love the idea that this is like going to date me and also pretty little liars as a series, but um, texting had become, that was like the big thing on cell phones at the time. Like there was no social media, really texting was the thing and like AOL is messenger. And, um, but the idea, I love the idea of getting the anonymous text and like not knowing who it was from or getting the anonymous like thing on your instant messenger, your, you know, your messaging, whatever your messaging app was and like somebody knowing something about you. And just like the internet was just becoming more of a place where people were posting parts of their lives, like blogging and whatever, but it was also very anonymous. And like, I was trying to think of like an interesting mystery about, you know, anonymity and the internet and phones and technology and all that. So somehow Pretty Little Liars came out of all of this. But I do remember um, before the, the book series actually sold, I, I lied and I said that the book had, the books had sold already. I was like, oh, I got a book deal. I'm quitting. <laughs> but as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh my gosh, I probably jinxed myself. Like, this is never going to sell. Like, this is never going to be anything because I told this lie. And like, everybody thinks I have a book series. Like, uh, why did I just do that? So, which is like funny because the whole book series is like based on lying. <laughs> so 
Um, I'm like such a liar too. So it did end up selling, which was great. <laughs> and then it just went from there. Before we move on, I am so curious about this ghostwriting thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Especially because anonymity became such a huge part of Pretty Little Liars. You know, it's so funny. Somebody else asked me that same question. And it is something I didn't even, I probably had been thinking about at the time, but it was funny. Like one of the books that I was a ghostwriter on was a spinoff of a really popular series. And it ended up making the New York Times bestseller list. But I couldn't say I wrote it. I mean, my parents knew I wrote it, but I couldn't tell anybody else I wrote it because I wasn't, I was the ghostwriter. Oh, yeah. um, so I don't know if it affected my writing because I didn't have, I like didn't have a style at the time. I was just learning you know, I have ghost written since I ghost wrote something later on after I had written some Pretty Little Liars novels of a famous person. She's very famous, but she wanted to write. And again, I, I feel like you, I can't really say who it was, but she wanted to write a YA novel. It was actually a series of novels. And I was like, this plot is so out there, but I just kind of have to like not put myself into it when you're writing as somebody else, that's totally different. That's a trickier experience. <laughs> a famous person who who actually can't write. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's interesting. Did that anonymity influence the creation of A in Pretty Little Liars? Probably. I mean, it, pro it probably did a little bit where it was just like, I'm the person behind the curtain. Like, I'm sure that came into it. But I think at the same time, like, I think I was just always interested in the idea that there were people, you know, especially with the internet being like blogging, kind of coming onto the scene, texting, coming onto the scene, like you could put something out into the world and you could hide behind it kind of, you know, because mm -hmm. nobody knew it was you. Like you're on a, you're on a computer, you could say anything you wanted and you could say that you, you know, that you knew things. And also people were starting to, I, when I was around that time, Pretty Little Liars was coming out. Like I had a few friends that had blogs and I was just kind of like, I can't believe these people are sharing what they're sharing. Was that like the era of live journal? Like yes, totally. And blogger, you just have to be careful, like what you put out there. And, and the characters in Pretty Little Liars like weren't even really putting things out there. And that was the scariest part is that they just were out in the world just being teenage girls and making mistakes and somebody was watching and like just the idea that somebody was was watching you and recording you and or whatever um phones suddenly had cameras and phones you know you could take video on them and it was like this was a very new thing and also like really scary and like yeah selfies were becoming popular and I mean what's so crazy is that when that series started you know I didn't know social media was going to become what it became. So it like, right. it's interesting that all of the things that I worried about, like became things to really legitimately worry about. <laughs> What's kind of incredible to me is in my personal experience as a teenager, I had such a hypercritical lens on myself that it felt like people were watching me. And oh, me too. So I feel like it amplifies that childhood experience so much, regardless yeah. of what social media turned into. Why did you choose to write in that world and that genre and about these particular four women? I was getting an MFA in fiction, which was not a huge time constraint. Like we just basically had to write some stories and, you know, be critiqued every so often. So I was also writing it for, about adults, you know, like in this sort of literary fiction style, which I love. And I thought that was sort of the direction that I would go if I was going to be a writer at all, if I was going to publish anything, it'd be sort of this like 
women's literary fiction kind of thing. So when I was ghostwriting, though, once we got um, into writing about sort of snarky, you know, 16, 17 year olds whose everything felt very like new and it was your first time feeling and the emotions were so big, you know, all of your decisions were so critical and all of that. Like it just it was like, oh, my gosh, I love this. And also, I, I feel like I wasn't that far away from that age. And, you know, I was probably 26 or something and still going through so much of that stuff. You know, like, who am I? What do I want to do with myself? My parents still have such a hold over me. Like, you know, I can't even make a decision by myself. Like, I'm so irresponsible. You know, all of these things. Um Thank you for validating because at 26, I felt the same way. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm just like, I still was very much like stuck in that, you know, I lived in New York, but I was going home to see my parents. My parents are a lot of fun, but I was going home to see my parents like practically every weekend in the summer because they had a boat and I was like, I'm just going to go out on their boat and like, you know, like hang out with my parents and like kind of freeload off of that basically. I was also in this phase where I was like reading my old journals from that time a lot. I don't know why. So I just felt very much immersed in high school um, again. So why I chose these four particular characters, I guess you have to write about what you know, but the four characters were me at different stages of my adolescence. Hannah was the, the girl who was very like concerned about how she looked all the time and how others saw her and was she like wearing the right thing and was she friends with the right people? And that was sort of me in seventh grade. Then there was Emily who was just like really into her very close friend. She was a swimmer, but she had been this athlete all her life and kind of wanted to do something different. But her parents were like, no, you have to keep doing this because you're good at it. You could get a scholarship, whatever. So that was me at a different phase of my life, eighth, ninth grade. Then I was Aria when I was like in 10th, 11th, 12th grade, where I just was like, I am the artiste. I am so over this place, like get me out of this suburb that I live in. I lived in the suburbs of Philadelphia and I was always Spencer. I was always the, like, I have to get an A or I would lose my mind. And, you know, some of the things that they were going through obviously were not things that I personally was going through, but I was thinking about, you know, what seemed like issues at the time. I mean, you know, especially Emily realized that she's gay and that was like a thing that I didn't. See, you know, I, I had friends in high school who came out, but I, but it didn't, I didn't see that a lot in YA, that sort of representation and, and sort of what that's like around your parents. And I was, so I wanted to explore that. And yeah, like Spencer, you know, Spencer has a lot of issues with her family. Hannah has sort of disordered eating. And they were all like things that felt I had dealt with in certain ways. And I just wanted to kind of normalize um, and say like, yeah, we, a lot of people go through this and, you know, this is like something that I, I want to kind of start a conversation about. I did not have an affair with any teachers, <laughs> um, an English teacher, you know, that, that just kind of came out of nowhere. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I kind of wanted each of them to be struggling with like a thing that I had also had dealt with a, a little bit, but also I felt like maybe readers could identify with. So I thought a lot about what I wanted them to be dealing with and like what would resonate with, with people reading it. And I try to think about that in any book that I write, you know, especially for younger readers, you know, certain things that people don't want to talk about, like, 
oh, well, this character is going through it. So it, it doesn't feel so scary to confront it in myself. I've never thought about this before, but just hearing you speak, there seems to be an obsession with YA and rom-coms and these genres, particularly for women in their late 20s, early 30s. And I'm wondering if it's because we are still going through those messy emotions that we felt as teenagers, but now we're expected to be an adult right. and it's no longer okay yeah. to experience those things vocally. It's more internally and we have to feel guilt right. when we when we do send a mean text message to a boyfriend where we should have thought before we acted. Oh, totally. Yeah. There's like a freedom in these teenage years that we totally lose. And you're not expected. Not much is expected of you. Like, sure, you have to go to school and hopefully do well in school and get into college if that's your thing or try to find some sort of path. But then like, especially once you get out of college, then you're just expected to like know stuff. Like, just know how to deal with life. And when I was developing the story, I think I was in that phase where it was like, I felt like I was kind of between, I was between being a teenager and between being really an adult. I had just gotten out of a relationship that felt like playing house. Like it didn't feel like a real, mm. and like I was having issues with my parents where I sort of needed to set boundaries, but like they were my parents and I didn't, you know, so it was like, I didn't feel like an adult at all. And I think that's why I was reading those old journals a lot and why I was like so easily tapped into like, oh, let's make some characters that were like me at different phases so I can kind of relive them. And that's why that's why I was so happy to write so many of those books. Um, and even I tell my editors now, like, I would totally write more <laughs> because like I love those characters and they're just like visiting that version of myself when it's so true. Like you, you did get to have all those emotions and it was the time where they were allowed um, and you didn't have to kind of suppress them and you could be like completely ridiculous um, with them. And it was, and it was okay. And, you know, it's just fun to kind of, to go back there even now and kind of write about those characters still. And it's funny, I am actually writing a, um, the pretty little liars girls have grown up. I, I'm writing a, a book for audible. I don't know when it's going to be out where they've grown up and, you know, they're dealing with sort of adult issues, but they're like still themselves. And it's like, it's really fun to write about them as teenagers and also as adults. Cause like, we still are our teenage selves. You know, we still, I, I still have the same personality, you know, and I still haven't, I still haven't figured a lot of things out. So no, it's very true. I mean, I think, and I think that's probably why, why I resonate so much with people in their late, 20s early 30s because like we don't have it figured out yeah and we probably should talk about it yeah more. I, I feel like in these these rom-com genres I'm always watching the woman who's like by the end she's figured out her life right and that <laughs> is generally presented by she's got the man mm -hmm. and that is so the opposite of what I have experienced that it makes me feel like such an outsider no it's so true it's so true. So Pretty Little Liars launched so many young women, <laughs> Troy and Belisario, Ashley Benson, Shay Mitchell, Lucy Hale. How does it feel knowing your words, what you created, launched their now booming careers and lives? Oh my gosh. I mean, I know it started with me. You were the seed. They did an amazing job with that show. They could have done a terrible job with that show. You know, it could have gone in so many different directions. And like, it's, it's actually funny. I, I believe there were several iterations of like kind of development on the show and like a pilot idea and directions that could have gone 
that did not happen. And I'm so glad they didn't happen. And I'm so glad that this was the one that happened. Anything you can share now? I don't really remember. I mean, it was quite a while ago. I do think they were older at first. Oh, interesting. And, you know, I didn't I didn't even see those drafts of anything. And it wasn't Marlene King. It was somebody, it was another writer or a few other writers. I don't even remember. But I just remember the, the concept was a little different. And the show feels so, like, it naturally works with the books, but it also, like, is its own thing. It had sort of this Hitchcock feel. It was funny at times. It didn't take itself too seriously. It was sometimes campy. You know, Marlene and all of the writers did a great job with sort of turning it into the show. And then the actors did a great job sort of becoming those characters. So like the ways that they reached out to viewers as far as on social media, like it was one of those show first shows where it's like funny to think about this now, but you could live tweet like that. You would watch it live and you would like be on Twitter, you know, tweeting along, which is like kind of funny now because who watches stuff live anymore? Uh, (laughs) But, you know, at the time the episode would air and, you know, I'd be on Twitter and like, wait, what happened? Cause I'm like writing and like, you're trying to tweet along and it was like so much fun. And all of the characters would do it. I would go out to LA and we would be in this room and we would all be live tweeting together. They're also really lovely people. I've met them many times and like, they're just really, really creative, interesting, funny, sweet. The first time I met Shay Mitchell, she was like, I just moved from Canada. And she was like, this is my first job. And she just was like, so adorable. <laughs> and now she's like super glamorous and like beautiful. Like she was beautiful then, but then you see her and she's just so still so sweet and so nice. And like, just really, they're all like that and just very, very like lovely people. So that's the lucky set. Not everyone gets that. No, um, no. So Gilmore Girls creator Amy Sherman Palladino famously always knew how she wanted her series to end with those mm-hmm. four words. Did you <laughs> and creator Marlene King have any similar game plan when you began the series? So there were eight books out before the show came out. So they had a lot of it. They had a lot to go on. Now they, they changed some things, but they kept some things the same. As far as the books go, it's funny because at first the publisher only bought four. You know, I knew the arc of the series to book four. So I knew who the first A was going to be. But then the publisher, you know, the books were doing well and it was building a fan base. And so I, so they bought four more, which is like funny to think of now because I'm not sure that happens anymore. Like, but it was in the age of big book series um, where you wanted to read a whole bunch, you know, just one after another, like binging a show. So then I was kind of like, all right, well, how do I make, how do I like deepen this idea so th- I thought it was finished at Book 8 and like it had a good, it had an interesting ending and like I really loved it. But then the show came out and we sort of had a sense that it was going to bring a lot of new Pretty Little Liars readers in, people watching the show and whatever. And the publisher bought four more books. Oh. So I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Also probably popping champagne though. <laughs> no, 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 it was great. It was a good, it was a good thing. And like I said, I mean, I didn't want to let these characters go. Um, even at the end of book eight, I was just like, oh, I've written eight books about you, but like, I could keep going. So I was happy to have four more. And then it, it actually even extended beyond that. And it was just, a, there's always going to be an A. There always can be somebody watching. And these girls, you know, 
they have their weaknesses and, you know, it was kind of easy for them to continue to get in trouble, (laughs) screw up. So, and as far as, as Marlene goes, like they used some of the plot twists from the books, but they also sort of went in their own direction. So I knew kind of where it was generally going. And I have a feeling that they kind of did too. I don't know if from the very first season they knew their first A in their, in the show was also my first day. It was pretty much like the same, um, which was really fun to see on the screen, by the way, where I was like, oh my gosh, I remember writing this part and look, it's on TV. So from there though, I, I bet once they got that person out of the way, I bet they, I bet they kind of had an idea of like where it was going to go and how many seasons they could, you know, how many seasons it could go for. And probably in the same way that I kind of did with the publisher buying more being like, okay, how can we extend this? Like what, what can happen next? So I'm sure they had an idea. I'm sh- and I'm sure it got a little bit more filled in as they, as they kind of fleshed, you know, out the, the episodes and, and all that. Well, it sounds like a fun problem to have. Yeah, it's not a bad <laughs> problem to have at all. <laughs> Has writing about love in the YA sphere colored your perception of love in your own life? I mean, I think you always still want, <laughs> you know, it to be that, like, those big feelings and, like, the magical, like, yearning which like are my favorite parts to write about, you know, the crush that like, oh, that kind of unattainable and like the time before you actually are with the person. (laughs) Um, But, you know, as an adult, I mean, you don't experience that as much. I mean, I'm married now. Yeah. I mean, it's different, obviously. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it makes you think about what, you should appreciate in somebody and how to keep things fun and, and all of that. Yeah. And I, and it's fun to write about flirting and then you can kind of think about, you know, how to still flirt in your own relationship. And yeah, I mean, I, I will never get tired of writing about love and new love and like attraction that is unexpected and, or maybe like falling for the wrong person, you know, all of that. I think that's, it's just so much fun. I mean, you've written about love for Meet Cute. You wrote the yes. audio rom-com series Winter Break. What interested you about the audio podcast medium? It's, it's fun to try and write a story that you're listening to, um, where it's all dialogue, you're not getting any narration. It was like working a different muscle, but I love the idea of it being just a conversation and two voices and, you know, the story coming out and the meet cute model is so much fun that it's like broken into these five parts. They're three minutes each. And they sort of have this, I I love when things have sort of a formula, um, and all the pretty little liars novels, sort of had a formula there was sort of like an introduction like you just I knew when things were going to happen and when I would like have you know a twist was going to go on this like practically like page whatever so it was it was kind of easy to write within the formula because you knew like okay part one you're sort of setting this up you know by this part you kind of have to have all is lost and then you have the resolution like it's just it was so it was really really fun to do and it was an interesting challenge because the parts were only three minutes long. So you had to get across a lot about these characters and then meeting and falling for each other or not falling for whatever the situation is in this short amount of time. And having written so many books, and I love writing books, but I'm at the point where I like trying out different ways of telling stories. So this was like a natural fit for me where it just was like, oh, I want to try, I want to try to do this. Um, and it was so fun to listen to the finished product 
I mean, well, you explored such fun worlds with like cosplay <laughs> and fuzzy. <Yeah. laughs> um, you have an upcoming series though with Meet Cute called Cruise Ship. Yes. How did that process for you and the storytelling <laughs> differ from Winter Break? So Winter Break was only three parts and it kind of, the first part featured a set of characters. The second part featured one character who was sort of a B player in the first part. And then the third part, featured a character who was a B player in the second part. So they all kind of, they were all sort of in the same universe, but like completely different stories. The cruise ship is set aboard the Queen Beatrice cruise vessel. So it's all in the same setting. Lots of things can happen on a cruise ship. There are lots of different voyages. I feel like one of them was like, it was like a trip where you could bring your cats and everybody was like a cat fan. Wait, what? Uh, I, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that was one of them. I took some liberties because I don't actually think cats would be allowed on a cruise ship because of allergies and things like that. But I decided that cats would be allowed. People could bring their cats. There was going to be a cat fashion show, all of these silly things. So this um, is all in cruise ship. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nine episodes of all of these different things that happen aboard this ship. And there's all these different people you're going to meet in different scenarios. And there's one couple, it's it's the captain and the cruise director. It's a love-hate thing. You'll see them kind of in each episode, but you don't really see their story, their story play out until the end, but you'll kind of follow them through each episode. But it's the episodes are usually about other people and other silly things that are happening on the cruise ship. But I thought it would be fun to do uh, a story on a cruise ship because we all like want to travel again <laughs> and we haven't been able to go anywhere, especially on a cruise ship. But, you know, this isn't a time where, you know, it's just fun to be on a cruise ship again and going to these different places. So it was, it was kind of fun to travel in my mind, um, you know, on my imaginary ship and hopefully people will will like to join in. <laughs> I'm very ready to go on vacation with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like fun. Yeah. You know, I thought about the reasons why people go on cruises. Um, there's a woman who has just lost her husband and just kind of needs to get away. There's a romance um, on one of the islands that the ship stops at, like all these different little stories that happen every, you know, probably all the time. And, and I was inspired by this because when I was, um, in my 20s, I had a roommate who worked, he was a musician and he would just go for these long, you know, stints at a time on a cruise ship and he would play on the cruise ship. And he was just like, you meet, you know, it's just a constant turnover of people. You see so many interesting things happen. It's so I was just like, that's a really fun setting. You're always going to be having fun, but there's always a new story and a new, you know, everybody that sits down at your bar or whatever, it's like they come from a different place and they have a different story to tell. And it was a lot of fun to write. Oh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the characters that populate this world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have some audience questions. Would you mind taking them? Sure. Okay. Georgia from St. Louis would like to know what was your aha moment that Pretty Little Liars had become a national phenomena and this series had really made its mark? Oh my gosh. Some, I remember my aha moment with the books was YouTube had come on the scene and fans were creating YouTube reenactments of like their favorite scenes from the books. So I was like, that's, this was before the show came out. And I was like, that's fun. Oh my God. Um, and I have to give these YouTube um, early, early YouTube filmmakers credit 
because they were the ones who first used, you know, the Pretty Little Liars theme song, the God of Secret. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They used that first. And in fact, <gasps> the show took it from, I think the fan base were like, this is the perfect song to use. Please use this song. So I was aware of that song before it came on the show because of these YouTube, these YouTubers. On the show... You know, it all felt so glamorous from the start. Like we did a we did a book signing before the show even premiered with the with the actors, you know, Lucy and Troyan, Ashley and Shay and me, because the eighth book was coming out of Pretty Little Liars. It was supposed to be the end. Um, and I probably said that even in the talk that I gave. I was like, this is the last book. I'm so sad. Well, it wasn't. Um, but even then, like there were paparazzi there and like photographer. And I was just like, what? You know, so they were all, they all knew how to pose. And I just was like, hey, and I just had no idea what was going on. You know, and I don't, I don't quite remember like the moment of like, whoa, this is the thing. But I probably when it would trend on Twitter or when it would like be a huge trending thing as far as what I was talking about with the social media and the live viewing, that was sort of like, wow, this is like a really different way that we're all watching TV together and we're all talking about it. Like, this is really cool. So I would say it was maybe that and the awkward photography <laughs> me <laughs> posing in front of like the step and repeat. <laughs> Just talking to you. I have no doubt you were far less awkward than you think you were. Oh my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> so Jenny from Rochester would like to know before the series ended, what were your favorite fan theories? Oh my gosh. Um, a, everybody, a lot of people thought A was Aria, which was fun. And I, my argument against that was like, I don't think A can be one of the girls because we're so, I think that would be disappointing <laughs> because we're like, so in their point of view and we're kind of following their story and then we'd be like, wait, you were the bad guy all along? Like, oh my God. But that was always, that one sticks out. But I loved reading the fan theories. And I remember I watched the show as a fan too. I did not know how it was going to end. I didn't know any of the twists. Well, except for the first one, because I wrote the same thing. So I didn't know how it was going to end. I didn't want to know at this point. I was just like, no, I'm going to live tweet like anybody else. And But I do remember... Um, I'm sorry, I you wrote... watched the series finale live without... Yeah, knowing. I didn't know. I had Whoa. no idea. I had no idea. And, there were, and I have to say, there were a lot of different finale. Like, yes, I watched the series finale live. But there was also like a big moment. I feel like it was at the end of season six somebody's probably going to correct me um where you know this there was a big reveal and I just was like I did not see that coming you know I feel like I was voicing my theories along with the fans and like sometimes I was right accidentally and sometimes I wasn't and, and that was that was fun how cool to be excited about your own work and surprised yeah it was very it was I wanted to be surprised Ari from Dana Point would like to know, are you working on anything now and what's next for you? I had a book come out in January called Influence, which is about, which is YA. And that I wrote with a young influencer named Lilia Buckingham. And it's a standalone novel that is um, kind of a murder mystery, kind, kind of like PLL, but also about like the strange world of teenage like TikTokers and oh. um, Instagrammers. It's a strange, it's an interesting world where like, Everything that you see on your screen, not all of it is real, 
so so I just did that. I I have a book coming out in July that is a sort of a psychological thriller, domestic thriller, but it is about mothers and they are all kind of they all feel like outsiders. There's this um scandal that happens and we sort of follow the scandal and of course they have secrets because I feel like everybody in my books have secrets. It is called Safe in My Arms. And I'm working on a new thriller in the adult world that I don't have a title for yet. Ooh, anything you can tell us about that? Again, it's about secrets. It's about, We've all it's got about murder. Um, and it's about, as a mother now, the thing that me and my best friend, and I feel like I've talked to a lot of people, and they also say this, that they talk about this with their best friends, where we're sometimes like, wouldn't it be fun not to knock our people we're married to they're wonderful but like wouldn't it be fun if we could just like buy a farmhouse and just like be best friends and live together in our farmhouse with our children and like that would be our life and so it's kind of about this like community of women who live in kind of this intentional community of just mothers but then something very scary happens and um it's not as great as it seems (laughs) um so yeah (laughs) Okay, that is very my alley. Sarah, you have made it to the lightning round. Ooh, okay. Happy endings or cliffhangers? Cliffhangers. Working alone or working on a team? Oh my gosh, I've done both. Kind of both. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. It's your (laughs) lightning round. (laughs) What in your life are you completely over and done with? Oh my gosh. I want to say social media, but I can't because I have to, I sort of have to be on it. And there are many things that I love about it. Um, Oh my gosh. What am I over and done with? Pass. I don't know. I'm not (laughs) over and done with anything. (laughs) I still have all my same (laughs) hangups. What do you wish people would stop asking you? What in your life are you over and done with? (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And finally, what is the greatest act of love you have ever witnessed? Oh, Oh my goodness. I, I see great acts of love between my parents. I mean, I could say my kids and all of that, but like my parents, like it's very, my parents have been married for 50 years and maybe that's wrong. No, I feel like it's almost 50 years. Wow. And it's maybe, it's not quite that, but like they've been through a lot of stuff and it's just, really really sweet to see how much fun they still have together and how much they still care about each other and like that they still I was thinking about this the other day like they still talk about the first time they met with like excitement and that's just so sweet you know they like were at a party and they were like looking through somebody's record collection together because this is a long time ago and like kind of making fun of it or something like that and it's just like and I'm like that's so perfect like that's the kind of people that you are like you still are like that and it's just like it's like they're really really sweet together so it makes me happy oh what a beautifully (laughs) simple meet cute story I love that right I know I was thinking about that I'm like maybe I should like pitch that as a meet cute like it should be their meet cute from like 1968 or whatever it was. Thank you so much. This was so much fun today. Oh my gosh, this was so great. Oh, I so appreciate your time and your heart and your stories and your work. And I can't (laughs) wait for everything that's to come. Thank you. And I can't wait to hear the cruise ship 
I have not heard any of it yet. I have not heard the um, the recordings of it yet. So I I'm so excited to hear it. Can't wait for that cat one. <laughs> yes, the background noises alone. <laughs> right? There's a lot of meowing. I remember putting that in, like meowing sounds, more meowing sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Sarah, so much. Of course. Of course. Bye. Oh, Sarah Shepard. I'm obsessed with your parents' love story and even more obsessed with you. Also, I'm obsessed with finding out who that celebrity is that you ghost wrote the YA novels for. All right, you heard Sarah talk about Cruise Ship, and now, beginning July 6th, Meet Cute's newest season of stories, Cruise Ship, will premiere with new episodes each Tuesday and Thursday throughout the month of July. Written by the master storyteller you just heard here and New York Times number one best-selling author, Sarah Shepard. The Cruise Ship series has everything listeners want from an ensemble story. Romance, even in the most unlikely of settings. Humor, adventure, all on the high seas and with a complex mix of characters and situations that reflect our modern world. The first two episodes of Cruise Ship come out on July 6th and will be available on all podcast apps. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to Meet Cute on Apple Podcasts to listen to over 200 unique Meet Cute stories for just 99 cents per month. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe us here on What She's Having. And make sure to reach out on Instagram at Meet Cute or on Twitter at Listen Meet Cute and send us your Meet Cutes and questions for our upcoming guests. Well, everyone, that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Ashley Eskew, and... I'll have what she's having.